Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. As the podcast continues to build momentum, I continue to work to bring you the best thought leaders in the talent career growth industry. And today, my guest, Jill Katz, is at the top of that list. Thrilled to have her on. And as I venture down my own career journey, Jill's name, reputation, and work came to light through folks like Mike Vacanti with Humans First and Claude Silver, somebody who was instrumental in my career during my days um, at VaynerMedia and my pivot and my failure and my transition and my growth and all that kind of good stuff. Claude was pivotal in that moment. Uh, and Jill and I connected a couple months back on a true human-to-human level, and I invited here, her here today. She is an influencer, a speaker, a coach that is passionate about shifting the workplace to be more people-focused, and we'll get into what that means in a little bit. And she's a founder and chief change officer at Assemble HR Consulting, a boutique human resource firm that focuses on organizational transformation and employee experience. And she brings candid insights, brave questions, humor, and empathy to her practice. She is a seasoned coach, facilitator, and a human capital expert with more than 20 years of success. And I love how that's framed, 20 years of success. And that's certainly important. And she's best known for her three C's approach, candor, courage and care and we'll certainly talk about that as well but most importantly she's a proud mom a devoted wife and a broadway fanatic and a dog lover and i'm thrilled to have her here today jill katz welcome to the podcast wow thank you so much i'm so excited to be here this is incredible i i really appreciate it and and having you on today really means a lot to me as you know i talk about the career journey and really building a fabric of so many people that add value right? Where, where people in their career journey, people who are HR pros, recruiters, to really like listen and learn and, and get key advice. So before we go too deep, why don't we just jump in and, and if you wouldn't mind giving my tribe a real quick overview of kind of like your origin story, you know, real quick, how you got from where you were to where we are today. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll go backward because I think the last thing that you said about me is probably the most important, which is I'm a mom. Um, and of all the things that I've ever done in my life, of all the accomplishments um, and the things that I'm proud of, what I am the most proud of and what is also the biggest work in progress is that I am the mom to an amazing, brilliant, thoughtful, hilarious, beautiful girl um, who turns 13 any minute. Wow. Uh, and I am in the process of planning a bat mitzvah that is taking over my life. Oh, God. It is in fact my second job. Um, and I'm also the proud mom of the funniest, biggest ham, brilliant, science, math-loving, chess expert, basketball fanatic, little boy, um, my son, Benny, who will be 10 this summer. Um, Love it. Being a mom is really and truly the first thing I think about in the morning and, and the last thing that I think about at night. 
Um, speaking of night, it looks like the light. <laughs> For those of you listening on the on the on the on the audio only, um, it just went completely dark. I think Jill is in a motion detector light room, and it went dark, and she's scrambling and waving her hands. It's all good. We're and back. We're back. And we're back. Um, and in terms of my <laughs> career, um, what's amazing is, I guess by trade and by training. I am a human resources or a human capital management expert. I've spent 22 years in this field. And what's really interesting, especially lately, is that a field that was terribly unpopular for so many years is suddenly becoming pretty crowded uh, and pretty popular and pretty sought after because I think suddenly, organizations and, and business executives and organizations are picking up their chins and looking around and realizing that regardless of the business, a services business, a product business, uh, the most important asset that any business has is without question, the human beings in that business. Thousand percent. So it is incredible and exciting to me to see how many people are making the shift into a field that I chose, quite frankly, almost immediately out of college. Um, and so I've had the chance to have sort of the formal or traditional training. Uh, but what's been kind of neat for me is that I have spent 22 years in HR, but always being the black sheep. Um, hmm. So for most of my career, how so? <laughs> I, I basically spent most of my HR career getting in trouble um, for being a little bit un-HR. And so I think where many people have spent time thinking of human resources as the compliance or rule following or policy creation HR area, police. The HR police, I was never the police. As a matter of fact, I was the one looking at the rules and seeing mm. why they're there and if they should be broken. And if, in fact, we were doing the right thing for the people and if we were putting the right people in the right jobs at the right times to drive the business. And so perhaps some of the best compliments I got throughout my career when I was on the inside of organizations was, Jill, you're the most un-HR, HR person I've ever met. Um, and so it's been really an interesting career trajectory for me. Um, I graduated college just a couple years ago <laughs> and I started on the business side and then I fell into human resources by accident. And my first job was an HR assistant and I, I started in the banking world and then I moved through my career and had a varied portfolio career, I think, before it was popular. So while many people were growing up and we were being told that it was important to stay at the same company and show company loyalty for as long as possible, I was sort of ahead of that curve, again, being a black sheep and thinking, you know, I get bored really quickly and I want to learn as much as I can about as many industries as I can. And so I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work um, in several public companies, several private companies. I worked in technology companies. I was in startups. I was in fashion retail. I was in media and entertainment um, and ultimately was able to uh, be in head of HR positions at USA. 
at Ann Taylor, at Ellie Tahari, at Calvin Klein Global, at Macy's. And, and no pun intended, but all that built the fabric of, of who you are and, and, and what you do, and it's incredible. And something I was, I was thinking about when, when you talk about 20, 20, 22 years, there's been a real shift in thinking mindset in, in the corporate world, what HR means. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, 20 years ago, even when I started out, HR was very about benefits and, and payroll and hiring and firing. And now it's that real shift, that real cultural transformation shift where companies who get it, who understand that people are their bottom line, their employees, that they have to put employees first. And you've been at the front line of them, what's exciting. And I, and I, I love most about your story is, is, is that progression and your current path of really truly helping others with your experience and your knowledge. And you talk about your three C's. I have my three P's that really helped me in my career. Mine is patient, polite, persistence. Those are the three keys, posers, three P's, I guess we'll call it if you want to brand it. But you have your three C's, which are candor, courage, and care. So let's, let's dig into your three C's and talk a little bit about all three of them together and let's break them down individually. Great. So candor, courage, and care was born out of a leadership development program that I got to attend when I was in a head of HR role um, at a large fashion retail company. It was a two-day program, and we were all challenged to sit down and write our leadership mission statement. And it was really an unbelievable program. I learned a tremendous amount during those two days. And we were sent home to our hotel rooms, and people came back the next morning with these long novellas <laughs> of their leadership statements. And So much for brevity. It was, it was crazy. I remember a great colleague of mine, he, he was my, my, my best friend at work, and he came back with something that must have been five pages, and I thought, oh, crap, I'm really screwed. Uh, because I sat up all night, and I thought about every leadership moment that had ever truly impacted me as I was growing up to be the leader I was at the time. And I realized that everything came down to three Cs for me, everything that had ever mattered, that had happened to me, for me, with me, or anything I had ever done. And it was moments where human beings showed candor, courage, or care. And I came back to class that moment and I had my three C's. And we all went around the room and people read their 25 minute Magna Cartas. Right, the dissertation. And I stood up and I, and I said, you know, for me, it's, it's candor, courage, and care. And, and that's where it started. And that was several years ago. And, and so ever since I have been on a mission to share my three C's and help other leaders um, find their truth using those. Um, and I, I do, do talks on this and I lead programs. So candor, candor is about just the raw, authentic, God's honest truth. I think that so often we find that there is a message we need to deliver to people. And we sit up at night trying to figure out how to say. How are they going to feel when we say that to them? How to say it. We oftentimes seek advice. We go to other people. We know exactly what we want to say. We know exactly what needs to be said, but we're not sure how to say it. And one of the things that I talk to people about in my program is, if you had spinach in your teeth and you were out to dinner, 
what would you want someone to say to you across the dinner table? Is it just like a hand motion? Like you want them to say, hey, Jill, you got some spinach in your teeth. You might want to get that out. You would just want someone to tell you, right? Just tell me. And I say to people all the time, when, when, Adam, would you want that person to tell you? Immediately. Right. But instead, we often tell people maybe when the meal is over, right. or a week later. It's a, it's a note to, the, to this passive aggressive society. And plus, we don't want to offend people versus telling them the truth and figuring out the way to do it in a respectful, tactful, actionable manner. And so what's interesting is we all play into a double standard. If you ask almost anybody, he or she will tell you, I just want someone to be honest with me and tell me the truth. And yet the same, the same people, us, when we are the ones responsible to deliver feedback, we try to figure out how to couch it. And so candor for me is about just tell me the truth the same way I would want you to tell me. Love it. Is the how. So candor is the what. Courage is the how. And I say that courage sits in the middle of the model because courage is the differentiator. There are lots of people that can learn to be candid. And there are lots of people that use care. But there are not enough people that have courage in the workplace to do both. And so what I have found is that the leaders that have the strongest teams, the most retention, the best productivity are the ones who truly do have Absolutely. to go for it. And when it is time to share feedback, when there's something that needs to be said and everybody else is hemming and hawing and trying to figure out how and when and why, these are the leaders that just go for it and they are candid in the moment and they say what needs to be said and they say it now. I love it. And the care is the why. And so that is the human piece that I am so passionate about bringing back to the forefront of the workplace. And I say to people, if you're not sharing feedback from a place of good intention, if you're not doing it because you believe you can bring something good to the other person, don't do it. If you're doing it because there's a form you're supposed to fill out, don't bother. If you're doing it because you're trying to build a business case, don't bother. But if you truly believe that you can help another person be better and you're coming from a place of goodness, that's what care is about. And it's really about putting that human back in human resources. And it sounds cliche, but it's so true. It's like really caring about another person. We're all people and we're all, we're, we're all in this together. And, you know, you speak a lot about authentic communication and how it could really result in, in better business practices and better teams and how are organizations, I mean, you have an interesting seat where you, where you are is an interesting perch because you come in as a consultant, you work inside, you work outside, but how are organizations, let's talk about first how organizations are doing this wrong and then shift that a little bit and talk about what are some tactics that you help put into practice to, to improve that. Well, what I like to start off by saying is, it is typical for us to want to use the word organizations, but I like to talk about people. So people often say to me, how do you okay. communication in organizations or how do you change the culture in organizations? And I say, I don't, I can't. Um, I work with people. Uh, and so inside of any organization, there will be people who get it right and wanna get it right. And there will be people 
who don't get it right and don't want to get it right. And so part of what I do is I try to be selective about the clients that I get to work with. And so in taking projects on, I ask a lot of questions to try to determine if the folks that we're working with are in fact people who want to make a change. Right, like they're not just being told that we have to sit through this workshop. Do they really want it? Do they take ownership of it? That's right. I've had a lot of people say, you know, I'm told that I have to sit in a feedback workshop, in which case. Cringe. Yeah, no thanks. Um, I've already been in that job. (laughs) I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, And so there are people who know they have opportunities to be better communicators. There are people who want to build better connections on their teams or with their cross-functional partners. There are leaders who are dying to give better feedback to their direct reports, and they just don't know how. They want to. They have it inside them. They know they want to do it, but either one reason or another, they're scared. And it's, it's an internal thing. Like some people, it's hard to tell somebody the truth. It's hard to give someone feedback. It's hard to tell someone something that's not working. It's hard to tell them, you know, hey, this isn't working out. It's hard to say to somebody, hey, do you really want to be you really want to be here? It's really, really hard. And it's not something that we were taught how to do. It's not we avoid conflict as humans. That's right. It's not natural. Um, and so for me, I tried to approach all of these topics myself, first of all, with candor, courage, and care, and also with curiosity, which is how did you get here and and why are you here? Um, And so a great example, I actually had a meeting this week with a client, and this particular client is a leader of a team, and there's a person on his team that he has been dealing with a performance issue now for quite some time, and he needs to give feedback to this person and has every tool that he needs in order to do it. And he has not done it. And every time we sit down, I say to him, did you have the conversation? And he hasn't had the conversation. And this week we sat down and he said to me, I haven't had the conversation. What's he waiting for? I said, what are we waiting for? And he became very emotional and said to me, I just don't like conflict. And I think it was a really interesting example of how our society understands feedback because we have automatically determined that by sharing with someone the truth, there's going to be a conflict. And negative implications versus someone being respectful. Like, thank you. Thank you for telling me something I don't know about myself that I can improve. Personally and professionally, I think we default to being defensive and protective and going into our shell and we try we try to avoid that so the responsibility is not always on the employer but how but how does that responsibility shift to the employee well there are skills there are skills on both sides uh, and that's another really important piece of it and and when i deliver my program my my candor courage and care program that's actually something i highlight which is first we need to learn how to deliver feedback We need to think about what it is that holds us back as individuals, as leaders, as professionals. We also need to learn how to receive it because if we don't receive it well, 
people aren't going to want to give it to us again. <laughs> right? If you, if you don't, if you don't res respond very well the first time, people are going to run away. Um, and so there's also actually skills that we need to learn on how to receive feedback. But sometimes people surprise you. I have another client who has spent literally months trying to figure out how to share with her boss uh, the fact that the entire team is struggling with the boss and finds the boss to be harsh and, and difficult to work with and, and snappy and, and not nice. Abrasive. Very difficult. And the other day, this person found herself at a coffee shop with her boss and out of nowhere, her boss said, you know, I received feedback recently that I'm harsh and abrasive and I've been really difficult lately. And you know what? I have been. Hmm, Self-awareness. I really wish someone had told me sooner. Hmm. And my client said, I feel so badly that I didn't say something earlier. And, and does that come down to the relationships that, you know, people have a, across an organization, um, especially senior leaders, because they feel, uh, you know, that they're not approachable. You know, what are some of those practical tips that you talk about, about how to have the right type of relationships with, with people that report to you and that you report to? The first is everyone's a person. It's so hard to remember that, but your boss is a person. Your direct report is a person, your peer. We all go home somewhere at night and have friends and family and people that we love and everyone engages with social media and has dinner after work and, and has to do the laundry or takes it to the laundromat or something. The fact is, We're all human. everyone's going through the same human struggles. And the more we relate to one another on those human levels, the more we'll be able to communicate on those human levels. What's interesting is we go out into the world and we engage in a world of feedback all the time. Where do we spend all of our time? All of us. She's holding up her phone for those listening in. Right? We're all on our phone. We engage in social media. As a matter of fact, we spend an average of five years of our <sighs> lives on social media. And five years will never get back. Five years will never get back. And by the way, that's those of us who are already old enough to have not spent the first 25 years of our lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important to, to quantify that. It, right? So I just want to put, put that out there. And so when you think about it, there's only one activity that we do on social media. What is that activity? With feedback on a photo, you look great. You look terrible. Where the hell are you? What are you doing? Right. That's that you're right. But that's also it's passive feedback. aggressive. But, but Jill, that's also passive aggressive, right? It's easy to just make a comment and leave it. I mean, I'm not going to go on a tangent about the troll culture, the trolling that's going on on social media because it's, it's, it's disgusting, but it's really about just, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's taking a step back and remembering that we're all human here, that we all have lives and just connect connect with people so switching it up a little bit i want to talk about the relationship between hr and talent acquisition um, within an organization and from where you sit where do you see that it's broken right now in organizations where things aren't going right where do you see that break point those those fail points uh well i think it really kind of depends on the kind of organization so i i have had the the honor of working myself in some pretty massive, you know, 200,000 person organizations. And I've also been in startups that have 30 people. Um, and now in, in the business that, that I get to run, I work with 
companies that are, again, 100,000 people, and I have clients that are startups. So in some companies, they are one and the same. They're integrated. In some companies, they are separate entities. Uh, so I think that with a question that broad, the first answer that comes to my mind is communication, right? Um, how, how are the teams structured? How does the company run TA and talent? Um, if they're not the same, how are those two organizations or entities communicating with each other? Because right. to me, that's the beginning and end of all success within an organization. And I agree. And I, and I think that maybe was, I don't, I don't want to say it's an unfair question, but it was definitely, definitely a broad question. And I think what it comes down to, and I've had this conversation many times, is it's, it's how an organization prioritizes talent. And in my opinion, the talent's the lifeblood of your company. And it's the lifeblood also of your current employees. Because listen, every company has attrition and people leave. And when people leave, it leaves a gap. And those people that are staying have to pick up the slack. And if those roles aren't being filled with the right people, those people that are currently in those roles, they're going to get disenfranchised. They're going to, they're going to start looking themselves. And, and I preach this all the time that that recruiting pipeline, it has to be an ongoing pipeline. You can't just wait. And I, and I think it really comes down to prioritization, putting it first. And that goes to hiring managers and leaders that are, are putting those interviews ahead of other things, even sometimes ahead of client meetings. Because if you don't have your employees to do the work, it's going to be a vicious cycle of failure. I mean, would you, would, would you agree to that? I mean, it, it is unquestionable that, you know, so if you think about talent acquisition, talent acquisition can be a proactive exercise or reactive. That's one of the things that I talk mm -hmm. about all the time. You can, be, you can be an armed force that has a pipeline of, fantastic talent ready to go all the time. So kind of like the Vayner approach. Yep. That's right. The best leaders in the marketplace are meeting talent all the time. Ongoing. Even when they don't have open jobs, it's just part of their culture. It's relationship building. That's exactly right. It's just, it, and PS it's marketing. Employer right. branding 101 right there. People don't That's wait. That's Don't exactly wait. Right. Candidates could smell desperation during an interview. That's exactly right. And so you're, it, is, it is the best type of marketing. It's the best time to meet candidates. It's the best way to build candidate relationships. Um, and so I always suggest to people, there's no reason in the world why you can't be or shouldn't be meeting candidates. Um, it also helps you spend your time more wisely. So if you dedicate an hour a week to meeting candidates, it's a lot better than being in a bind and suddenly having to give up two days in a week to meeting 15 candidates. Exactly. And pushing all your clients. It's a vicious, it's a continuous vicious cycle. You, you hit the nail on the head on that one. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit here and, and talk about something that hits home for, for both of us. Being a working parent is hard. I got two small kids at home and it's more than a balancing act because I, I don't believe in, in, the, in, the, in the term work-life balance. I believe in work-life harmony. There's times when I'm all in at work. There's times when I'm all in at home and it's a harmony and things work together and there's, there's a lot of crossover there. You know, how, how do you find that, that work-life harmony, Jill? I think I would call it work-life noise. Mm. Um, I, I think work-life harmony is probably... Um, ideal. I, I admire you if you have work-life harmony. I, I'm, I'm sugarcoating it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, trying to think, 
I think that's amazing. I think I'm trying to think of the last time I would have described my life as work-life harmony. Harmonious. Yeah. Um, I think it's a blend. I think it's, for me, it's, it's work-life blend. It's about um, a new view on what life is. And I know that graduating college and, and growing up through the work world, I was taught that there is a separation between your work life and your personal life. I remember, you know, a separation between church and state, which I never even really understood what that meant, um, partially because I never went to church, uh, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, there is no such thing as a separation between work life mm -hmm. and uh, and that's another thing I speak about very passionately in my talks and in my programs. No such thing. When you walk through the doors of your workplace, you do not leave at the threshold of the door who you are, what you right. care about, what you, believe in. what you believe in, what matters to you most, what you're worried about. You bring it right through the door with you. You sit down in your chair with it and you are still that person. And if you're not, you better go get something checked. Um, I've had multiple people take me on about this in my programs, and I love when they do uh, because it opens up. What do they say? What's the contrary there? That like you, that, a lot of people say, well, "I turn off my personal life when I come to work, and I right. only focus on work." Well, you might turn it. You might tone certain things down. Let's. I mean, let's just clarify that, right? Like, if you're into some interesting hobby, so to speak, if you, right? There, there's a balancing, but you're still who you are. You're still your core. You're, you're still your essence. But what a company's what do companies need to do to respect that? You know, because a lot of people complain, listen, certain industries, you know, their burnout's real. Um, and there's certain, that's one aspect of it. But there's also companies that, you know, what, what are companies doing well to really respect that individuality? Well, let's back up. Let's actually validate a point that you just made and, and make a really big deal of it, which is mental, mental health awareness uh -huh. was just in May. And and we just started June now, but last month it was actually validated that burnout is now considered a mental illness. I just saw that, yep. So mental, excuse me, burnout is actually a very real thing. It's when you hear someone say I'm burned out, uh, we need to take it really seriously. It's real. It's very real. Um, and what are companies doing? Oh my goodness, there, there are so many things that companies are doing. I and mean, I, think, I think it's scarier to think about companies that are not right. looking at the whole person anymore. So is it about what work hours look like? Is it about offering remote opportunities? Is it about introducing employee resource groups so that people can find and identify people that are like them who have shared belief systems and build those relationships? Is it about uh, development programs? Correct. So that people can focus on their own growth and development. Is it about leave policies so that people can care for their elderly parents or their newborn children? Is mm -hmm bringing your pet to work because your dog is more important to you than any living two-legged creature. Is it, I mean, you could go, I could go on and yeah. on it's about like making, making people feel, you know, making people feel like humans and, and that's what we really got to get back to. And, 
it's been a, it's been quite the change in corporate America in the last 25 years, really to breaking down that church and state where it's all one and the same, especially, you know, technology bringing it together. So let's, let's bring this home with some questions that I really like to ask all my guests. And, and I love the different perspectives here. What was the single biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? The biggest failure, I've had so many failures in my career, Adam, my gosh. Um, I'm so proud of so many things that I have failed at that have taught me so much. Um, I think my biggest failure it was that I was in a, a, a very, very senior role um, in, in a head of HR role when my daughter was born. And I didn't think I was going to be able to balance both. And this was thir 13 years ago. Oh my God, this is 13 years ago. And, and to be honest, it still wasn't really cool to be open about the desire to do both. And I was ambitious about my career. And so I was offered a smaller job. Um, I took a pay cut. I took a step backward and a, a job with smaller scope thinking, okay, a smaller job. Give you more time. I'll be able, this will make it better for me. Um, and I learned that it had nothing to do with the size of the job at all. It had everything to do with who I am and how hard I work and how I manage my own time. And three months into the new smaller job, I was working just as hard for just as many hours. Nothing changed. Nothing changed except that I was being paid less money oh. at, a, at a lower title. Less and I was learned. pissed. I was really, really pissed. And so that was a big mistake that I made in my career. Um, and a very, very important learning that I do like to talk about out loud, particularly to other women, um, that we do not have to step backward in order to become parents and that it's not the job, it's the person. Yeah. And, and I think just to be, I mean, listen, all respect out there to the working moms. I mean, my wife did it as well, but I think it's also for fathers too. And paternity leave is, is incredibly important for many reasons. You know, first and foremost is important bonding between the father and, and the child, even at that early stage. But it's also more about being the supportive partner to your spouse or to your partner. It's about being there to be them for them, to give them that airtime, that break, and to, and to have that bonding. And more companies are doing it now and now and, and, and having equal, you know, time off for, for fathers as well. Um, and it's, it's certainly great to see. Um, and especially, especially for families that are one father or two fathers. Yeah, single, single families or yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely, exactly, exactly. This is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic change and more companies are doing it. And that's something that, you know, from a recruiting perspective, I'm getting this question more and more as a first question on my, on my initial conversations with candidates. You know, what's, what's the maternity paternity policy, right? What's the time off policy, bereavement, you know, care for elderly parents. I mean, that's real. Our parents are getting older in this generation and we have to take care of them. And, and that's certainly important. So let's get back to a happy note here. Um, who, who, who is that one person that has influenced you the most professionally and why? Love this question. Martha Olson. 
And who is Martha Olson for those who do not know? She's amazing. There are so many people that have influenced me professionally. I'm so lucky in that, in that way. And, and my quick moment of advice there is mentors don't fall out of the sky. You have to go find them. Um, and I have been, I've been real baller about going out in my career and finding people and, and, and creating mentors out of them. Martha Olson uh, is a beautiful human being that was a, a, a divisional president uh, at a company where I was the VP of HR. Uh, she was a business person, not an HR person again. And she had a tremendous, tremendous impact on my life, teaching me about business, um, but also forming so much about who I am today huh. as an executive and as an influencer. And because of Martha, I probably had the most powerful business lesson that I share openly. Wow. That's incredible. And that's a lesson that you just share. You're paying it forward. She is um, an amazing woman. She was one of the most hard-charging, bottom-line driven executives I have ever met. She was smarter than the smartest person in the room, intimidatingly smart, never missed a decimal point anywhere and could go through a 15 page spreadsheet and find every little, every little I and T not, not crossed. And, and what is, and what is, a, and what is the single greatest piece of advice that you ever, what is the greatest takeaway you have from your mentor, mentoree relationship with her? Martha walked into my office one day and she needed something. Um, and so she was sort of in, in a, in a rush and walked in and noticed that I was, I, I suppose flustered and said, are you okay? And I said, um, I, I don't know. I'm having a moment right now. And she said, what's happening? Um, and I said, I'm a little bit embarrassed by this. Turned out that our business review presentation was now scheduled for the exact same day as my daughter's teddy bear picnic. And I had just found out about 15 minutes before that about the teddy bear picnic, because of course the school gives you no time. No. They give you no, they, they, they don't operate like a business. No, they tell you, you know, three days before and as if we're all sitting around waiting to find out about the teddy bear picnic. But it was, of course, one of those scenarios where my daughter was the only two-year-old in the group who had a working mom. And so she walked in in this exact moment where I was realizing that my two-year-old was going to be the only kid at the Tedra picnic Can't have without her mom. And yet we had a business review presentation to the group president where I had, a, I had to present the talent. And... So she came in and sat down and I was nearly in tears. I was the new vice president. I was the head of talent. It, it was a really important moment in my career. I was sure what she was going to tell me, which was your kid will get over the teddy bear picnic. You have a presentation to the president. Your kid's only two. You'll forget about this. But what, what did she say? 
she sat down, she put two hands on my, on my desk and she looked over and she said to me, you will go to the teddy bear picnic. And I said, what? And she said, you will go to the teddy bear picnic because 10 years from now, you will never ever remember what this business review meeting was about, but you will always remember being at the teddy bear picnic with That's what it's all about, right? And, and that's a huge life lesson. So Jill, what is your superpower? What is that one thing that you have you know, etched into your soul that makes you super strong and be the, the boss lady, awesome person that you are? I make other people laugh. I make other people laugh. I, I build relationships with anyone and everything, including inanimate objects. I love it. And I, I always it. have. The last question, and this one hits home for me, um, it's my reason for doing everything. It's these three initials on my hat here, NHP, which are my daughter's initials. And for me, when, when I'm down, when things are awful, when I'm having a real crappy day, when things are great and I want to show gratitude, for me, I look to my North Stars, which, which are my two children. And Jill, I ask you the same thing. What is your North Star? I mean, I would have to say it's my family. Um, I am so lucky. I have the greatest, greatest husband in the world. He is my best, best friend, my partner, the best cheerleader and support I could ever have. He has believed in me from the second we met and in all the moments I haven't believed in myself. And my daughter and my son are my biggest fan club. And without those three people, I don't think there would be an Assemble HR. And so I wake up every day and I hustle and I do what I believe in so that I can leave behind a world that is better for them. I could not agree with you more. And I was just having this conversation when someone asked me, you know, why are you here? And I go, my purpose on earth is to leave it a better place than I found it. And for me, that was by creating my two kids. I know they're going to be better than me. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about legacy. Jill, this has been awesome. And I, I can't thank you enough. And I, and I really, truly believe that everyone listening is going to find, you know, a tremendous amount of value. Closing thoughts here. The words and phrases, empathy-based leadership and quote, human approach are more than buzzwords. They are the reality of how to successfully lead and mentor people today. In today's highly competitive job market, candidates and employees care about more than money. It's not just about money. They care about how they're treated and how they're respected. And the ROI of being humans first is monumental. It not only drives talent acquisition, but more importantly, retention that we spoke about earlier. And it costs significantly more to hire than to keep and promote good talent. Remember that, it's important. Thought leaders like Jill, Mike Picanti, and Claude Silver at the helm of this incredible, worthwhile mission and spreading the gospel of treating people the right way with the best intentions and having the tools to do that, which Jill preaches. It's also important to note that the responsibility is a two-way and each of us need to take ownership of how we respond and react and engage as colleagues. This is critical, we gotta own that. 
We certainly have a long way to go, but we are making great strides and it's amazing to see these tactics put into action. And I implore you all to look inside and outside to find opportunities to do better. Jill, I can't thank you enough. This has been incredible. Where could folks connect with you? Where could they find you? I am eminently findable. I'm, uh, <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Jill Katz. My website is hrassemble.com. I'm on Twitter, Jill B. Katz. Um, those are three of the many ways to find me. And we'll have all those links below. Jill, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. And to everyone listening, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels. Links below to this, links below to Jill. You can find everything. Subscribe, comment, link. And I implore you all to take your online offline. Thanks for joining us today and catch us next week for another amazing episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.